We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast. Nick Whalen here with Alex Barutha. Uh, Alex, we have reached the point in the season where I'm sweating out Jordan Nwora waiver claims. Uh, Sandro Mamoukalashvili is putting up big numbers for the San Antonio Spurs. Uh, it, it's been, you know, it's something that we've, we've been through a number of times, you know, the last few years covering the NBA here at Rotowire. Obviously, if you play fantasy basketball, this is a extremely hectic time of year, but also a fun time of year when, you know, for example, last night I'm watching Hawks Pistons and there's, there's Buddy Bayheim checking in and, you know, there's Jaden Ivey getting into it with Trey Young at the end of games. Like it's, it's a, a, a silly part of the season as some people call it, but uh, also a lot of fun narratives uh, going around at this time of the year. And we have some major, major injury news to get through as well today. Yeah. This time of the year, I mean, for fantasy, it can be a little frustrating at points, especially like if you have, you know, like Dame Lillard, for example, uh, as you do. Who knows what's going to oh, happen? Oh, do I? Oh, huh. yeah, dude. <laughs> um, no, I've been playing in those situations as well. But it is it is fun to see some of these guys who have had basically like non roles all season, or like these fringe college guys that the average person would have no idea is on an NBA roster suddenly yep. getting like twenty minutes a game. It's interesting to see what the, some of these guys can do. All right, I, we'll, we'll go right into Blazers talk first. It's on my list. I didn't plan on doing it first, but since you you uh, poke the bear here, uh, <laughs> we we can knock that out right away. I verbal meme, by the way, it's like the the guy like outside of his biggest haters funeral. That's that's you bringing up Damian Lillard, knowing that he's yeah. on my stake team, and you and I are jockeying for for one of the final uh, <laughs> playoff place. spots. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I made a hell of a charge in that league. I know. Right? I, I was know. I was buried. I was left for dead a month into the season. And, you know, to, to even be where I am at this point is a victory. But uh, yes, if Damian Lillard is shut down, my team is officially shut down. I'm, I'm starting to worry. They're they're doing the unprecedented move of shutting other players down, but not Dame Lillard <laughs> for some reason. Uh, I, I know Chris Haynes has kind of been all over this. He's like the, the official Damian Lillard beat writer. 
it, it, it kind of yeah. seems like there's a kind of a pride element here with Damian Lillard, which is not surprising. If you know the guy, he's, he's certainly not the type of player who wants to be shut down. He also missed, you know, the entire second half of last season. So maybe there's, uh, there's something to that. Uh, but as you astutely pointed out on the Rotowire radio show earlier today, uh, there is also all NBA implications that that could be had here where, you know, missing 10 to 12 games in a row at the end of the regular season does not reflect well on that resume. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the organization would like to, you know, they're not going to make him do anything. I mean, they're pretty, um, you know, I think, I think if he wanted to play the whole season out, I think they would let him. I'm also sure they would strongly encourage him to sit out the final five or six games of the regular season as Chris Haynes was reported or mentioned, I should say on his podcast. I think that was last week that that's something the Blazers could do, but yeah, I think Lillard, it would be wrong for them to cut Lillard off at the knees at like 57 games where, where he's at right now when he's having maybe the best season of his career. And if you can get him to, I think 60 or 62 games, then he's going to have really strong all NBA consideration. And it would be, I mean, (laughs) the difference in like four games really shouldn't make the difference, but people are just going to look at the number and see the six in front and be like, okay, I think I can put him on there especially in a season where a ton of big name players have missed time. It, it makes a difference. Like if he plays, you know, 10 to 15 more games than Steph Curry, like that is, that is definitely a big deal uh, yeah. when, when it comes to all NBA and awards and, and things of that nature, the Blazers have 11 games remaining, including tonight's game at Utah, all indications of that Dame will play in that one. I mean, he Dame himself essentially said like, yeah, we're, we're not getting the 10 spot. We, we feel like we're out of it. To me, it was that loss where they were up like, 20 plus on the Sixers. Was that last weekend? Oh yeah. And it just completely blew that game. Philly comes back. I think a beat hit a game winner. And that, that to me felt like the, the final blow for a Blazers team that had just been hanging by a thread anyway. Um, but it, it's hard to say, you know, when that rest or, or that shutdown could come, because I, I don't really think, you know, I, I guess they could beat Utah tonight. And then, you know, maybe they beat Chicago on Friday and they, they have a huge game against OKC on Sunday. They play New Orleans Monday. So like they do have meaningful games on the schedule and, and maybe you, you just want that, you know, that, that 10% chance that you could string together a couple wins and, and restart this thing. Like, it's not like they're, they're not seven games back of the 10 seed, but uh, you know, I, I do think this is also kind of where we saw the season going for the Blazers, uh, you know, barring Anthony Simons, you know, just taking a huge leap forward and he's, he's been fine when healthy or, you know, Yusuf Nurkic just being a player that he's never been before. Uh, you know, it, it never really felt realistic that this team had much of a ceiling beyond like the sixth or seventh best team in the West. And, I think what makes this especially crushing if you're Lillard is like the West has been wide open. You know, it's like if there was ever yeah. a year to have a roster like this and and find success, it would be this one. And they just couldn't do it. Yeah. They're four games back of the 10 right now. Um, that's tough to make up with like <laughs> 10, 11 games left. Um, although the jazz aren't necessarily, I mean, the jazz are trending down. I guess the Blazers are too. But. Are, are they? I don't know. I mean, did, they were trending down, and then they, I think they've, they've won back to back games over what, Boston and Sacramento, I want to say. Like, they're, they're a team that the Lakers need to start trending down, and yes. they just, they refuse to do so. I mean, 10 of the Blazers' last 11 games come against the West. So it's like, yeah, if, if, they, if they go 10 and 1, they'll probably make the playoffs, but obviously that's not realistic. I mean, they're, if you look into the numbers with Portland, you know, they've lost eight of their last 10. Uh, 10 of their last 11 losses dating back to the all-star break have come by double digits. Like when they lose, they just get absolutely pounded. The one exception was that Sixers game. Uh, I mean, they're like, they're 28th in offense. They're 28th in defense. Uh, It's really just the Dame Lillard show. And he had that run 
in, in late February where you know he was putting up like 40, 50 at the 70 point game. I, I just think defenses are keying too much on him at this point. He's been really inefficient. You know, he's had a lot of nights where he'll start like one of seven from three. Uh, like they, they just don't really have any answers. No, and I your point about this being an opportunity for them, I think that rings true because like they haven't been the healthiest team in the league, but tons of guys have been hurt this year, right? Like they still got they got over two thousand minutes from Jeremy Grant, Anthony Simons, and Damian Lillard. That's your core. Your mm-hmm. core was relatively healthy. They all played over two thousand minutes. Um, Josh Hart, when they had it, was healthy. I mean, Nurkic, you just pencil him in for fifty games total. Um, you know, and I just that they had an opportunity here and they kind of blew it. And I think some of it was like their bench is bad, right? Like they built, they built this team with some upside in the starting lineup, but all season they've been playing those guys like 38, 39, 40 minutes, whenever they can, which tells you how little Chauncey Billups trusted the bench. And like Shagan Sharp looks interesting, but he's not, I think he's contributing a little too much. Mm-hmm. There's still too many like trended Watford minutes. Oh boy. And it's just, the bench, they just can't survive with a bench like that. What's interesting is like on paper, if you, if you just look at the names, like I don't think this roster is that much worse than the Kings. I, I think a lot of the a lot of the names that you just mentioned, you, you could basically say that about like Davion Mitchell and Trey Lyles and Malik Monk. Those guys have had better years. They've been healthier, certainly. I think the big thing for Portland is they just, they don't have the number two. You know, it's like if you want, like De'Aaron Fox has basically played as well as Damian Lillard. Dame's been a little bit better. Uh, you know, Fox has been better on defense, whatever. If you want to call that a wash, that's fine. Portland does not have its DeMontis Sabonis. It's supposed to be Anthony Simons. Yeah, it is. I, I just like, what what was the upside there? You know, like how, how many points per game would Anthony Simons have to score for that to make sense? No, I agree. And we saw it, like, it the the ceiling of the former Blazers team, like the, the Blazers teams of old with McCollum and Lillard were sort of formed the same way as well. And I just don't think with two guys in the backcourt, smaller guards, even though Simons is a great athlete, who aren't really defenders, it's just really tough. You you're just not going to be have a you're not going to be able to have a great defense, especially when the guy in the back line, um, Nurkic isn't he's not a shot blocker. Like if you have two guys out of the perimeter who are getting blown by, well at least have a shot blocker back there. He's not really that kind of a guy, um, and so I just think. I think from a team building concept, it's better to have balance. Like I think Lillard should have, like you got to find a way to get a, not just a bonus type, but a big in there. Right. Like, uh, yeah. uh, so he has like a pick and roll partner and a, a two man game they can work with instead of two high level backcourt guys like this, who are, they're essentially playing your turn, my turn. Yeah. And we saw that for a decade with Lillard and, and McCollum. So I, I think it was it was always kind of strange to me that they decided to just run it back with a less proven and I would say less well-rounded player in Simons. And yeah, you know, it, it's not like you're just going to trade him. Like I, I get that he's he's a piece for this team for sure, but I don't think he could be the number two guy. Um, and you know, it, it's tough because like obviously Nurkic is, is part of the issue here. He's just stagnated. I, I think they got to explore some other avenues there. But like Jeremy Grant, I, I think has had a pretty good year. I, I don't think you would look at what he's done this season and say that's a disappointment. Um, but you're right. You're right to point out the bench. I think that's the, probably the number one issue for this team, other than not having, you know, a clear number two. And that's a problem that a lot of teams have, but I mean, it drops off immediately, right? Like it, it's, it's really nice that, that Shaden Sharp is playing minutes as a rookie. I feel I feel like for at least 10 to 12 teams in the league, he would be like in the Moses Moody zone. You know, he, he should probably yeah. not be playing 15 minutes a night. 
Yeah, sometimes you can you can ask the question, how many minutes would this guy be playing on a contender? And for a guy like for Shagan Sharp, I mean, if you put him on Milwaukee or Boston, he just wouldn't play it, right? Wisconsin heard. Yeah. So I think you can evaluate a roster that way. And you know, the the Justice Winslow injury actually hurt them, which told, tells you uh <laughs> where they were as a bench. Okay. We're we're putting a moratorium on Damian Lillard talk. I, I don't even want to entertain the thought of him being shut down and me having to pay $350 at the Rotowire steak dinner. Uh, so we move on. We, we have major news. This might be the most news that we've ever had in a single podcast day. And part of the reason for that is we have 10 games on this Wednesday night. Uh, it feels like we've had lighter schedules the last few weeks. They've been more evenly distributed, but we got our classic 10 game Wednesday night. Uh, and that means that we're likely going to see Carl Anthony Towns. Remember him. He plays for the Timberwolves. He'll be back tonight. We expect to see Luka Doncic back for the Mavs. We expect to see John Morant back for the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, we have a couple other high-profile injury news updates that have gone the other way. We'll get to those in a sec, but I want to start with Towns. November 28th was the last time that Carl Anthony Towns played in an NBA game. Um, we'll start with fantasy. Obviously, you're not putting him out in your weekly lineups this week. The ship has already sailed on that for good reason. Are you comfortable locking Carl Anthony Towns into a lineup next week? I believe Minnesota has four games. One of those has to be a is one of those back to back. I mean, even it doesn't they, matter. They, they play mean, Sunday, Monday on a back to back, so he could I, he'll likely sit one of those. I think that if you can get twenty minutes a game out of Carl Towns for three games next week, and I think that's a fair assumption, then you should put him in your starting lineup. He's 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 so good that even in twenty minutes, he might get you like fifteen and nine with a couple threes and a couple assists, and that's worth that's worth starting. Yes, as, as someone who was starting Terrence Ross last week and has started Trey Lyles in recent weeks, I, I think you're, you're totally right. I think that's the correct answer. Uh, if you're expecting 25, 8, and 4 with a couple threes, I, I think you're going to be very upset. Uh, but at, at this point in the year, if you're playing in a, anything close to a competitive league, that's, that's totally fine for even like your last starting spot. You know, uh, if, if you're in the fantasy playoffs, you can absolutely uh, use Carl Anthony Towns and just kind of treat him as a role player. I think for this next week. So I'm very anxious to see what he looks like. Um, and I'm also anxious to see how we, how we value him going forward because we, we have like a complete split career now for cat who is like the NBA iron man, his first four years in the league, he only missed five total games. And now these last four seasons, he's played 35, 50, 74 last year. That was a nice rebound. And then this year he'll probably end up playing fewer than 30. Yeah. I, it's interesting to me that he's, that he stayed so healthy through his first, you know, handful of seasons because he's not, he's kind of an awkward athlete. Like I don't, I don't view Carl Anthony Towns as a great athlete at all. He's pretty ground bound. Um, but he, he, he goes for some athletic moves sometimes where I'm like, <laughs> I don't know. I just, I don't, I don't know if that's uh, if he thinks he's, if he's quite as athletic as he thinks he is sometimes, but I, uh, I don't know what to make of it. It's, some some injuries are freak injuries, like you know, like Blake Griffin, for example. He's a guy who, yes, he had some recurring knee injuries, but he also missed some games. But yet he broke his hand and and some other stuff. And sometimes it's hard to tell exactly when a guy's body is breaking down, um, other than you know frequent injuries to basically ankles or knees. So Luka Doncic. Like we said, expected back on Wednesday night. He is currently probable as we record in the middle of the afternoon on Wednesday. 
Uh, if that's the case, he'll be back after missing five games. I, 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 would, I wouldn't say this is best case because I, I thought there was a chance that he might miss only one or two. Um, but he's coming back just in the nick of time for the Dallas Mavericks. who are coming off of that loss on Monday to Memphis. I like Dallas is in a much more precarious situation. I think than than a lot of people realize, I mean, they are essentially one full game out of falling out of the play-in. They're an eighth right now. You could also say that they are a half game away from being out of the play-in. I, I think if Luca comes back, looks like himself as we expect, doesn't get hurt again, the rest of the way, I, I know we have to kind of worry about Kyrie with the, the foot and ankle thing that he's dealing with. But I, for whatever reason, like all these other teams in the West, like I, I don't really trust, and I'm not saying I trust the, the Dallas Mavs to go win the NBA finals, but I, I do trust Luka Doncic to prevent them from falling out of the playoffs. I think so. Um, that would be shocking. We're going to, if they fell out of the playoffs, I, uh, yes. they, <laughs> I mean, it's weird because they, their record since Kyrie got there is not good. And, but by contrast, when those two are on the floor together, the numbers are amazing, staggeringly good. So it's just, they are, I think the concern has to be if you're Dallas, you have to do everything you can to not drop out of the play in, which means playing your best lineups, your best players all the time. And you have Doncic coming off this pretty significant thigh injury and Kyrie who was in a boot after uh, the game the other day, he said it was precautionary, but then he also said he was worse than he thought. So you have to play both of these guys potentially 40 minutes a game to not, you know, to sort of mitigate risk. And I think that's, that's not, that's not a good recipe. I think they'll be going into the playoffs potentially beat up and tired. And yet they're one of those teams that if they emerge from the play-in and they're playing the Grizzlies in round one, or they're playing the Nuggets in round one, like I, I'm not going to write them off. I refuse to do so. I, w- I won't write them off. Um, I mean, if it, if it ends up being Memphis, Dallas, would you pick Dallas? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would. I would. I, I got to give a real answer. I would. They, they were in the West Finals last year. We, we haven't seen Memphis do anything in the playoffs. I mean, the Grizzlies have been surprisingly resilient, you know, d- despite missing Ja. Obviously, they were great without him last year. I think they're, what, like 20 and 5, 20 and 6. Uh, you know, they've been without Steven Adams forever. They're not going to have Brandon Clark. And, you know, they're, they have not fallen back, really. And, and part of that has been, you know, every other team in the West seems to be in a skid right now, too. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm with Dallas. I, I, I'm going to take the team that I think has arguably the two best players in the series. I think that's fair. I, w- I would lean Dallas. Um, they're just harder to game plan for because you can't, you can't really game plan for Kyrie and Doncic. They're too good. They're too crafty. I feel like it's, it's easier to sort of, um, construct a, a defense to, to face Memphis. You can't game plan for them because there is no game plan, right? It's just like, go, all right, these guys are going to play like two on two basically. And it's like, all right, go, go beat Kyrie and Luca two on two, four times out of seven. Like, it's just, it's really, really hard to do. I mean, Luca basically did it by himself last year. So I, I don't know. I, I, I will give those guys the benefit of the doubt and especially Luca. Um, well, we're on the maps, by the way, where are we at? Like long-term with Kyrie, I, obviously it feels like we've had no sample of these guys playing together. I don't think we're going to get that sample. Uh, certainly not in the regular season. Uh, like, does it feel like what happens in the playoffs determines what they do with Kyrie or are they kind of under this implicit obligation that given what they gave up and, and how few other options there are, they have to find a way to bring him back next year. I think that, I think they just have to stick with him. Yeah. I, I just, I don't, 
you can't let him go. They, I mean, the it just hasn't worked. Like it didn't. They need a, a legit second guy, and I don't know who they would get besides Kyrie. Yeah, I, I know. I think it was Mark Stein recently indicated that you know things are progressing well on that front, uh, and that uh, Dallas feels good about signing him. I think they have to. I think you're totally right. I, I, I think the other thing too is they could do what basically every other team has done with Kyrie and sign him and then deal with it later. Like for whatever reason, despite the injuries, despite the anti-Semitic video sharing on Twitter, <laughs> despite the shaky availability, like he really hasn't lost as much value as you think. Right. I mean, we were talking like mid season when, when all the, the anti-Semitic stuff was, was kind of at its peak about like, man, that the Lakers might be able to trade for Kyrie on a discount. It's right. like, that just doesn't happen with him. No, um, it doesn't. And that, that tells you how, I mean, it's, it's just kind of the way that it is. How, when you're that supremely talented, yeah. there's just a point where your value, there is a bottom where your value, there's a, there's such a high floor on your value that at some point, almost, almost no matter what you do or what you post, <laughs> there's a value that someone will be willing to pay for you. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Uh, okay, John Morant, uh, not on the injury report whatsoever for tonight's game. So uh, assuming right. he plays, this will be his first action since March 3rd. That is nine games missed. Feels like more. Really, really not all that bad in the grand scheme of things, especially considering where we were a week ago. Like I, I've been chatting with friends about this a lot. And I, 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 I was kind of on the record before this latest update that he was going to be you know, on this reconditioning plan 
I was like, I don't, I don't think we see him again. You know, you and I talked about comfortably dropping him in some fantasy leagues. Like I, I thought there was a really good chance that the next time we saw John Morant play basketball, it would be next season because this would be a long drawn out process. And it turns out that was not the case whatsoever. I think it's possible that maybe some of the stuff was overblown. You know, I think when you hear, you know, players going down to Florida for a counseling thing, it, it just sounds like a, a more severe situation than it really was. Uh, but, but all of a sudden now, like the Grizzlies are, are kind of back here and if they could get Steven Adams back for, for round one of the playoffs, um, I know I just said I would take the Mavs over them and I stand by that, but uh, I, I think they at least internally have to be feeling pretty good about this as long as Ja can kind of get back up to speed relatively quickly here. Yeah, initially it did feel like there was a lot of concern about Ja, but then once that police report came out that basically cleared him of everything, it kind of felt like, you know, we we were in the clear to not to not he have beat to the drop case. him. Beat the case. Um yeah, I think the Grizzlies, I think this almost will affect the I don't think this will affect the Grizzlies at all, to be honest. Like you said, it, it feels like it's blown over. Uh, maybe it was overblown to an extent. I still think it was a bad look. Um, but I don't I don't expect it to affect their play on the court at all. I don't think there's gonna be any chemistry issues. The fans gave him a warm welcome when he came back and sat on the bench the other day. So to me, they're just they're back up and running. Um, you know, obviously we haven't seen them back on the court. I'm not not really concerned at all. And I think, um, you know, I maybe I do believe in the Grizzlies less than the average person because I like the like the Blazers. I have concerns about their bench now. It's for different reasons, but I just think they're a pretty shallow team. Um, but their cohesion, like you mentioned, their resilience. Like they've they've had guys hurt for a lot of the season. Um, they, they've, uh, withstood Dylan Brooks antics, which I think is, uh, yeah. is a positive. Um, but they're, they're in a good position. Yes, they have, they have survived and thrived despite Dylan Brooks being yes. one of the most damaging players in the league. Um, all right, let's, let's talk about some of the, the, the negative injury news that we got today. And we'll start with Paul George, uh, was watching that game late last night, saw the injury as it happened. Don't want to see it again. I have, you know, gone out of my way to not watch the video. Uh, luckily, he he's diagnosed diagnosed, excuse me, with only a strain uh, or a sprain. But uh, I, I mean, I, I thought initially this could be, you know, out for the rest of the season and potentially early next season. Like it looked that bad when it happened. He was, you know, taken out of the arena on a cart. Almost never a good sign when you leave on a cart. Uh, yeah. But but now we we got the news today that after an MRI, uh, looking at a two to three week timetable for a reevaluation, not a two to three week timetable to come back. So he's, he's effectively done for the regular season. I would say there's a pretty decent chance that he's not hundred percent for the full first round of the playoffs. But uh, I mean, I mean, the Clippers are one of a handful of teams that still has plenty of business to take care of here. I mean, they're, they're sitting in fifth, even with a loss last night to OKC, but you take Paul George out of the equation. And I, I think this is a team now that, I don't think they fall out of the play-in, but they're they only have a two-game cushion right now. They, you know, Kawhi Leonard has played so well. I think that will help them weather the storm. I think the moves they made at the all or the uh, trade deadline that that really helps them. I think Eric Gordon will be big. Obviously, at this point, you get some more Terrence Mann in there. Um, it's not going to be an easy absence to weather. The concern is that George has been. He's been so good for them and so crucial to what they do on both ends of the floor. Um, with him off the court this season, they're minus 6.5 points per 100 possessions. That's obviously a, a poor number when you're trying to basically hang on to some seating. 
I think they'll stay in the play in. I that would be that'd be really tough if they fell out. Um I think Ty Lue is a good enough coach and I think they have enough enough depth to weather it. And depending on who they play in the first round, I still think there's a chance they get past them. So I mean, if you're talking like maybe Paul if they can get past the first round, I think there's a chance Paul George returns for the second round of the playoffs. Um but you remember that injury, man. It, it reminded me a lot of the Giannis injury when his yep. knee snapped the wrong way. But Giannis is a freak, and the Bucs were also like trying to make the NBA Finals. It was kind of a different environment. So looking at the schedule the rest of the way, the Clippers play the Thunder tomorrow, so a rematch of last night's game. They have two more against the Pelicans. They have two more against the Grizzlies. They play the Lakers. They play the Suns. And then the two quote-unquote cupcake games would be the Bulls and the Trailblazers, Blazers is game 81. Um, I mean, if, if they lose to OKC on Thursday, it's going to get very, very interesting because the Pelicans need wins as much as anybody. Like, they're, they're not rolling over. I don't think Memphis is going to roll over in either of those games. And you're right. I mean, if there's one thing that the Clippers have, it's an absurd amount of depth. So they they can, in some ways, kind of make up for, for losing Paul George. And I, I think they only have one back-to-back remaining, and it's games 81 and 82. So, you know, you're not really worried about Kawhi load managing. And, you know, like if, if you don't have Kawhi and Paul George, you're probably just losing whatever game that is. Uh, but I, I think the the extreme downside here, Alex, is they have another MVP on this roster who I, I think is going to be dying to step up. And I don't think that's a good thing. <laughs> it's Russell Westbrook's time, man. <laughs> He's foaming at the mouth. Oh, my God. This is this is one of the biggest moments of his life. This is, That's not a good thing. I'm, I'm half kidding, but also half serious. Like. You do not want Russell Westbrook having a 5% higher usage rate because Paul George is out. That is not a winning recipe. That is a very, very worrisome development for me if, if I'm a Clippers fan. Uh, I also want to look at this big picture-wise. So this is now, what, year four of Kawhi and Paul George together? And it's not looking good right now. Obviously, they have not really even been close to making the finals. They've, they've had some high-profile letdowns. Kawhi Leonard missed an entire season. Uh, there, there are some caveats here, but... If they don't get it done this season, that's that's 0 for 4. Uh, you know, we're talking about a guy in, in Kawhi who has looked great this season, but I, I think is kind of a slightly diminished version of his peak self and doesn't really strike me as the type of player who will continue to dominate into like his late 30s, like we're seeing with, with guys like Durant and LeBron. I, I just don't think that's the type of player that Kawhi is. Uh, you know, Paul George, the injuries are, are really starting to add up for him as well. Like I it's, it's still, I, I guess, too early because these guys are under contract through next season, and I believe they both have player options for 24-25. But like, I, don't, I don't know. Man. Like The days of the Clippers being the team to beat just seem like so far away. I mean, I assume they're declining those player options to try to get either extensions or to move on. And I don't – it's hard to say that the team has been a failure – when both of these guys are healthy, like the, just the problem is they're just not healthy at the same time and, or at the right moments. And so I don't know how, you know, it's, it's, we, it's hard to say how they feel about it. Like, do they really feel like, Hey, if we keep this going for another three years, maybe we'll both be healthy at the right time. And it, <laughs> but again, you're talking, there's so many what ifs and buts and mm-hmm. maybes and all of this, is also completely independent of what's going on in the rest of the league, uh, of the league. What other guys are, what other young players are ascending? Um, you know, what, what teams are doing in either conference. If you like, well, we have to get to the NBA finals. Well, what's going on in, in the, in the East. So 
I don't know. I think I think if they both wanted to come back, I think the Clippers would just take them because you don't want to give up this this it's still an advantageous position to be in and you can potentially trade them if you have to, but um I don't know. Tough situation. I think the point you made about the context of the league changing, that's the biggest thing. It's no longer enough to just have Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Like when those when those guys came together in what the summer of 2019, I think it was. That was, that was enough. That was like, all right, if that team's healthy, they're probably going to win. Those guys are really good. Combined, they might have the two best guys in the league. And the league got better around them, right? And, it, you know, they've, they've done an okay job, I think, surrounding those guys with role players. But it's not, it's not like a stacked roster by any means. Um, you know, it's like Giannis has gotten so much better since then. Jokic has gotten so much better. You know, the Warriors, surprisingly, have not really gone anywhere. LeBron's still hanging around. Obviously, the, the top of the East is, is just a complete beast. So... Like that, that to me is the biggest thing is like, they could keep these guys together, but with each passing year, I, I think the, the advantage that it felt like they had over the rest of the league by having that duo, uh, like that lessens each and every year. And especially as, as Kawhi, you know, starts to age out a little bit. Um, uh, so yeah, I, I don't want to call this like a, a complete failure by any means, but it really felt like they had a window. And if they come out of this, you know, if, if, if you had said back in 2019, all right, four years from now, we'll have gone four full seasons with these guys and you will never have really even threatened to make the finals. Like that to me is a pretty big disappointment. I agree. Um, the injuries, man. Yeah. Paul George. I mean, well, the thing is, yeah, you, when they came together, we we're like, Oh, this is the best, maybe the best two man combo in the league because of their two way ability. They're, they're both playmaking wings. Yep. We were debating whether or not we wanted Paul George on our all-star team this year. Like when we were doing that <laughs> podcast, it's like, is he even an all-star? I don't know. And so, yeah, the, yeah. the league has kind of passed him up. That's part of it for sure. I mean, the year before he joined the Clippers was that insane OKC year where yeah. I, I believe he counts that as his MVP year. Yeah. Am I correct in that? Yeah. So his, so when he was the quote unquote MVP, he was at 28 a game, 8.2 rebounds per game, which is ridiculous. 4.1 assists, 2.2 steals that led the league. Uh, you know, it was hitting almost four threes a game at like 40%. So yeah, he, he has not been that guy. But I, I still feel like he he has that in him. Like his numbers have been really good the last few years. He's basically been 24, 6, and 5, 24, 6, and 6 with a steal and a half. Uh, had two over two steals last year. Like I, I don't I don't I don't feel like he's come up short, but it, it really has been the injuries. Like part of the reason that he feels like he's on the on the borderline for all-star every year is because he hasn't played enough games. Yeah. Well, that's part of it too. The injuries, the injuries add up. Um I just I again so many good young players in the NBA. He's barely in that conversation in terms of like top 15 guys in the league. I don't even, I don't know. I mean, I have to sit there and put together the list, but I, he, he made the all-star game this year, but it was, it was close. And I mean, the thing is Kawhi's playing at an MVP level right now. And that's the crazy thing. Like no one would have guessed that. Like if you had told us in December that, you know, by the time April came around, Kawhi would be putting up these, Again, MVP caliber numbers. Yeah. I'd be like, you gotta be kidding me. Like, was this team have like 50 wins? Um, no. Yeah, Kawhi looked straight up bad for the first like 10 games this year. And you know, you always give him the benefit of the doubt, and and obviously rightfully so. But yeah, he has been unbelievable uh really since he started becoming a as close to a full-time player as he'll ever be. Uh let's talk Zion. He has not played since January 2nd. We got what feels like the eighth uh two more weeks update today uh he's not going to play the rest of the regular season i don't think that's shocking to anyone 
And I, I think we're, we're now reaching the point where if new Orleans sneaks into the plan, if they emerge from the plan and get the seven or the eight seed, I don't think we see Zion at that point either. I, I think he's probably going to be shut down. I think so. And if we know anything about new Orleans is they love to underreport their injuries. They love it. So, um, when I, when I saw he'll be real evaluating in two weeks, I'm like, Oh, he's done. There's no way. Like he's never coming back. Um, it's just, it's so disappointing because they looked so good to start the year. I thought they were going to have a great year and they were. And then Zion got hurt for a bit and they actually weathered the storm. And then it all, all of a sudden it just completely collapsed. And they were actually doing pretty well without Ingram too. They yeah. were figuring it out. Trey Murphy and Herb Jones were doing well. Even McCollum, McCollum had struggled. Like McCollum started the year shooting so poorly. Valanchunas' role has been completely up and down. Um, They've dealt with a ton of injuries, weird roles, but they're just, they have no ceiling without Zion. And I, I mean, like we, we talked about this before. This is getting really concerning for Zion. It's been concerning, but you know, he got drafted in 2019 and he has played 114 NBA games, zero playoff games. Um, it's just, that's, there's very little precedent for a guy having that little playing time or just games this many years into his career and really bouncing back in a meaningful way. Now I think you could say Embiid has done it. That's the name I was going to say. He's kind of the only one. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and with Embiid, it's like all the injuries came at once. Essentially. It's like he had the injury coming into the draft. He fell a little bit, didn't play at all in what would have been his first year. Didn't play at all. in what would have been his second year played 31 games in his like quote unquote rookie year, which basically was like his third NBA season. Uh, and then since then, it's, it's not, you know, he's, ha- he's been banged up every now and then. The knee will, you know, will be an issue. He had like a facial injury last year. But for the most part, look, like based on where we thought that was going in 2016, I would say this is best case scenario. Like when Joel Embiid was sitting out his second consecutive NBA season, if you had said, hey, seven years later, this guy is probably going to be the MVP and he's somehow become like surprisingly durable despite still running like he's injured at all times and carrying a ton of weight. Like this has been, absolute best case scenario. Now the Zion thing is, is so tough because it's been a myriad of different injuries. You know, it's like, it, and it all, it all feels connected to me where it's like, all right, you're, you're dealing with a foot injury. So you compensate for that. And then yep. your hamstring gets hurt. And then, you know, you're trying to work your way back from that. You're overcompensating in a different way. I, I just, I, I don't know what the plan is, but I, I think the, the nice thing is that there's no, there's no real like major structural issue, I guess that you look at, you know, it's not like he's torn the same ACL three times. It's not a Harry Giles situation. Um, you know, he hasn't torn his Achilles. Like there's, uh, there, there is some light at the end of the tunnel, but yeah, you're right. I, I don't know where this goes. I mean, we, we've talked about this a, a million times, but like for fantasy next year, I could tell you, I'm not drafting him, but somebody, somebody's going to draft him. Like, I like how far would he have to fall for you to be like, you know, screw it. I'll, I'll just take him at like 75. There's no way he falls that far. I think I would still take him around like 50, 50 I don't know. or I 60. Do it. Um, just because, I mean, if you have to bunt, you have to punt free throws if you're doing it. Um, so there's like a specific team build that Zion becomes more valuable. Um, when he played this year, he was 36 than eight cat. But again, if you assume 50 games out of him, which, right. I mean, that's pretty low, but it's also not unrealistic. Then, yeah, I mean, if you're drafting him sooner than than 60th, you're probably not getting value. Yeah, I'm looking at guys who were going around pick 50 this past year. So you'd be deciding between Zion and like Brandon Ingram, CJ McCollum, 
Tyrese Maxey, Chris Middleton, Josh Giddey. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. When you, when you put it that way, it, it, it's a debate. I, I, I think the problem for me is the upside is not that high. Like this is not a Kawhi situation like we just talked about where it's like, okay, when this guy is healthy and on the court, he is one of the 10 to 12 best players in fantasy. He is giving you rock solid across the board, first round value when he's healthy. Like science amazing. And he you know gives you a huge boost in field goal percentage. He gives you a huge boost in points and rebounds. That's all well and good. But even in a best case scenario, he's like a third round value. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, with Kawhi, Kawhi has been uh, Kawhi's been the sixth best eight cat play over the past two months, right? Zion doesn't have that kind of upside. So when you're taking a risk on a guy like that, you have to understand what he, what is his potential. Even if it is, I, hey, maybe I only get fifty games out of him. When he plays, is he is he dominant in fantasy? And the answer is no. Again, if you're punting free throws, it's different. Right, but he's not in that. He's not in that like tier of even Embiid. People draft Embiid really high because it's a position of scarcity, and he can he he was putting up MVP numbers when he's healthy. It's Curry's getting older and he's getting hurt all the time, but we know what he can do. There's other guys in this territory, even Porzingis, like this season. You know when Porzingis is healthy, he's put up like top twenty-five numbers before, and he has the profile of someone that can do that. Zion hasn't been that guy. I'm sure there's a math equation that's like way above my head. And it's probably not even that, that complicated of a math equation of like, all right, if, if this guy puts up these numbers and plays this number of games, here is where he should, he should finish. Uh, I, I just, for me, that, that number doesn't come out to like 40th overall for Zion. You know, it's like, I, I think if you say he's going to play 42 games and put up these numbers, I, I, I just feel like it, it, you can't really justify taking him inside the top 60. I, I wouldn't do it. I, I wouldn't do it. And I, I know the fear of course, is that at some point, you know, things will come around and all of a sudden he'll have this 73 game season where somebody drafted him 64th overall in their league and, and got, you know, top 30 value. Like I, I get that that is a possibility, but uh, we also just haven't seen like the, the changes I think necessary to his game to become more fantasy friendly. Like the blocks are still down. He's still not a high steals player. The passing that was on display at Duke, it's like that that's come back a little bit, but not to the level that we thought. Uh, I, I just, yeah, it, it's really, it, really sucks like I'm not I don't know if anybody's rooting against Zion right like everybody wants no. this to be as fun as it was at the high school and the college level and I don't know maybe I'm just a cynic but like all along it it, it almost felt like this was too good to be true I think so um it's tough when you're talking about like his game not being exactly what people thought or there's moments where it's not what you want it to be I think it's difficult because he's played so little that the what what is coach Willie Green supposed to do? What does management want to do? Like, are should they be basically like preparing and surrounding him with a team that's capable of of surviving on their own? Like like with Ingram and McCollum, and you can dump it to Valanciunas. But then when Zion comes back, it kind of makes less sense because the yep. spacing with Valanciunas isn't good. Or do you want a full commit to Zion? Like, so I it's hard on the coaching staff. It's hard on Zion himself. Everyone's got to change their style of play when Zion is in. Because you also don't want to relegate Zion to like some like dunker spot role transition guy. Um, when at moments when he has the ball in his hands, it looks like he's the best player on the floor. Um, it's just hard to know exactly what to do. I mean, I think it would almost be better for some bad team to like take the risk on him and, and focus him as the number one guy like at all times. But that, you know, the Pelicans are never going to give that up, give that up. And they signed him to an they? extension. 
I, well, they signed him to an extension, but so who's who's like the worst player you could get back for Zion right now? Chicken, weren't we talking about this? To um, I think I threw out the name Mikael Bridges, but that was before he went to yeah. Brooklyn and looks. I think this was uh, like a late night Slack conversation we had a while back. Yeah, I think so. Um, the worst <sighs> player is this like? I think it, we're we're obviously draft picks and stuff would be involved if this was a real trade, but I'm saying like if if a if an actual physical asset has to be involved. Like who would yeah. be a player who could headline that deal? Uh, oh. Beal. <laughs> That's, I was just looking at that. I don't know. I mean, it would work money wise. I, I think that would be incredibly redundant with McCollum. I don't I, like, I, I don't know if, like, if, if, I, if I'm the wizards, I would do that in a heartbeat. No question. I think it's worth it. It's worth the risk. Uh, I don't know if I would do that if I was new Orleans. I mean, I think you have to like, in a vacuum, these conversations are different than like a team, a team taking a chance on Zion is doing just that. They're taking a chance on him and they have to be like semi-desperate. Right. Um, You know, like there's teams like maybe Atlanta or Chicago, Washington yeah. would have to get involved or Portland or something. Right. Um, <laughs> Portland. <laughs> Portland. Yeah. Oh, Those are God. the types of teams that, that, that would have to put a package together. Yeah, it's it's really tough. I, we need we'd almost need more time to to prep. But I, I just yeah, I feel like even pod. a lot of those a lot of those teams that you mentioned, they either have guys who New Orleans wouldn't want, or like if you're in Indiana, like you're not trading Tyrese Halliburton for Zion, which is no. like a wild sentence to say. Like so imagine somebody telling you that two years ago. Uh, but like it's like you, you don't want Zach Levine. You don't you don't really want Nick Vucevic. You don't want DeRozan at this point in his career. Uh, I, I really feel like McCall Bridges was was a really good one. Even even now, it's like it's still a conversation, right? Like if New Orleans picks up the phone and calls the nets and says, Hey, right now we will, we will swap Zion for McCall bridges. Like you don't just hang up the phone. If you're the nets. I don't think so. I think you would, you have to structure the deal. straight up would be crazy, but I, uh, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're so completely different players. McCall has looked so good. I think Brooklyn kind of wants to see what they have in him. Yeah. That's part of the issue too. I think if you give Brooklyn a full season and then have the conversation, it, it would be easier. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, like, like Levine for Zion would actually kind of be interesting, um, but I don't know. I think that would be fantastic for Chicago. Like they, they're kind of like Washington. It's like what you're, you're not, like you're not going anywhere with the current core. That's exactly the type of high upside guy that you have like no other chance to obtain. And yeah, you know, if it if it means you you get off of the Levine deal, then so be it. Uh, what, what about if, if you were trading him for a draft pick in this year's draft, obviously you wouldn't, you know, you're not giving up the number one pick. At what point does that become a conversation? Well, you do, you know, the draft better than I do. Yeah. Um, so what do you, what do you think? I think the, the conversation starts at number three. Right. Uh, I, 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 again, I don't, I don't know that a team would do that, but I, I think it's still Zion Williamson and he's still what? 22, 21. Like, as as bad as it's been, I I still think he has like a pretty reasonable amount of value. Like he's he's been, and we we keep talking about him in a fantasy context. Like he's been dominant in a real life context. So there's there's kind of two different uh, situations going on there. Like I I think there are a ton of teams that would happily take that risk, and we just named like six of them because there are there are a ton of teams that are desperate. Like, do you think if Detroit got number three and they didn't want to draft like Brandon yeah. Miller or Scoot Henderson because they have guards already, right? That they would float that out. Yeah, I, I think that's absolutely a conversation. I I, I think, you know, it, it, it sounds like Scoot Henderson's stock is like slightly declined. I, I'm still pretty high on him, but I, I don't think, 
I, I don't think you could ever say beyond number one that like this is you know nobody would 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 take uh you know a, a draft pick over Zion Williamson. It's like every year we we always talk ourselves into these guys and we we come out of the draft expecting like everybody in the lottery is going to be great and every year that's not what happens. Um, I don't know. It's like think think of like the Wiseman pick a couple of years ago like that. That seemed like a situation right. like the Warriors could have traded that pick, should have traded that pick, had, you know, probably several appealing offers to do so. And they didn't do it. Um, but anyway, I, I don't know. I, I don't want to see Zion move necessarily. I, I don't, you know, I don't want Pelicans fans like freaking out here, but uh, it's an interesting discussion point. I, I think he is probably the single most difficult player to value in the entire league right now. Um, all right. I want to hit a few more things and we'll get out of here. The Oklahoma city thunder alarmingly are in seventh place right now in the Western conference, they will have a chance in the next 48 hours to be out of the play in tournament zone. They could climb uh, up to the number six spot. They, they play the Clippers again on Thursday. Uh, Warriors are also in that mix as well. The sun's really not that far ahead either. It is within the realm of possibility that the thunder could climb as high as the number four spot in the West. But I'm more curious about how we value this team for next season, because obviously they're ahead of schedule. We, we thought they would go in the tank, you know, get another top five pick, and then maybe next year is the year that they they hit the accelerator. Like with the way that the West is shaping up, I like is Denver going to be significantly better next season? Like I, I don't think anybody really no. believes in the Kings. I think we have real questions about Memphis. Uh, you know, Phoenix is gonna live and die by Kevin Durant's health. Chris Paul is getting old. The Warriors, you know, they, they could be entering a new phase. Like the point I'm making is that I, I don't think we're that far away from Oklahoma City being in like by far the best position of any team in the West. The West for next year feels open, like you're saying. I, I think all the points you make about the specific teams are are legitimate. It would take some big free agency swing or some trade for me to feel significantly better. Um, you know, the Lakers will be up in the mix and maybe Zion comes back and like there's be like but I think it'll again, it'll be one big like melting pot slash mix of teams that they're all, you know, um they're all they're all in the same tier, sort of. It's like one giant tier. But OKC, I mean, relatively speaking, I think I'm a Chet Holmgren pessimist, but he's going to get so many easy looks with the attention SGA draws. Obviously, he's a good passer. Jalen Williams has proven a lot. Josh Giddey's a great passer. So, like, even if Chet's not as good as we think he is, or it's going to be a, a significant upgrade for their team because they've basically been running with, like, no real center for, like, three years. Um, and they're going to get another decent pick. And you never know what's what's cap you know what they're capable of um, in the offseason in terms of signing uh, some signing a difference maker of trading some of their stockpile of draft picks to to for a win now move. So they're in a position to I think be uh, you know jump into like tier number one or number two of the of the West if things break right. My argument is that they might already be in tier two. And part of that is the West just not having teams like Milwaukee, Boston, and Philly in it, even Cleveland, like Cleveland would probably be like the second best team in the West right now. Uh, and, and all those teams that I named before I kicked it over to you, those are all teams that are ahead of them in the standings right now. And I know teams like Dallas and the Lakers, you know, have had their injuries. You could say the same thing about new Orleans, but like, OKC is, it, it's kind of felt like it's been half in half out all season. And they're just like not lucking their way into being 36 and 36, but like they, I don't even think they've made like this concerted push for it. And by default, like SGA has been so good and Jalen Williams has been so good. And, you know, they've, they've kind of taken so many stabs at mid to late first rounders and second rounders who have played well that without even trying, they've been an average to above average team in the Western conference. So like 
my point is when they start trying, when they actually go and get free agents and, you know, you get Chet Holmgren back, you get another pick in this draft, you get, you know, all the, the, the future picks they have coming in. Like they are going to be in position, I think, to skyrocket in the West, because I, I think we're looking at a, a couple of years window here where the Western conference is going to be down relative to the East. And, you know, maybe there's some massive shakeup in the off season that, that we're not foreseeing, but I, I just don't see a lot of like similar teams, I guess, to them that we say like, man, in in three years, the jazz are going to be a problem. It's like, yeah, if they get Victor Weminyaba, they will. But uh, I, I, I just think that the Thunder are like very clearly to me, the most ascendant team. Well, they, I think, I mean, they have five guys pretty much locked in. SGA, Giddy, Dort, Jalen Williams, Chet Holmgren. Well, I'm, I'm assuming right. with Chet. But that's like five legit guys. That's a starting five. You're like, that's our, that's our team. Like, we already have an established five guys. And they've shown an ability to, to put you know, bench guys together. Like, Isaiah Joe's look good. Kenrich Williams just will, like, <laughs> is always playing minutes for, for OKC somehow. And, right. um, again, uh, and this may just be a, a matter of them signing some veterans in the offseason and, you know, getting some more talent six through eight. And yeah. then they're able to, to keep climbing. That's exactly, I think, where they can make up ground significantly. Is like all those names that you that you just listed off. Like they played really well. They deserve a lot of credit. Those guys aren't seeing minutes in eighty percent of NBA rotations. You know, it's like when when you start upgrading those spots, I think you can see a huge jump. And they've also been playing like without a center for the last two years. Yeah, they've just thrown away that position. It's like, yeah, Jalen Williams with an eye. I, I guess he's looked okay, but mostly just because he's playing a lot. Like Pokashevsky started twenty five games this year. Jeremiah Robinson Earl who again is one of those guys, if he was in another organization is probably out of the league right now. He started 19 games for them this year. Uh, like they've, they've had no real center at all. And they, they, you know, they turn the ball over a ton, they get blocked a ton and they, they still find ways to win. Like it's, it, it just feels like they're at a disadvantage and they're overcoming it in ways that other teams that are in better spots are not. Um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm very, very high in OKC going, going forward. I, I don't think anybody's really not high in OKC, but uh, I, I'll be very interested to see how proactive they are in upgrading like the Kenrich Williams spot or upgrading even the Lou Dort spot. I mean, I'm a, I'm a Lou Dort guy, um, but if you have the opportunity, yeah, I mean, you got you to see what's out there. I don't even know who the big free agents are next year. Um, Van Fleet, I don't but think that's not something class. that's not something you would do, obviously. Um, no, not off reckless. the top of my head. James Harden, technically. Uh, James, oh my god, that would be something. <laughs> James, I don't think Harden. I think they'll stay away there. Uh, I don't know, like they could bring in like Gary Trent or something. I think he has a player option. Um, yeah, I don't even like Malik Beasley would be like by far the best bench player on that team. You know what I mean? Like we're we're, we're talking nice uh, about some guys who played well, but they're, they're they're far away from established NBA bench players. Uh, one other note that I have on the West, by the way, and we, we talked about this a little bit on the radio show. Obviously, you know, it's parody, parody, parody in the Western conference, but I was thinking about this the other day. Like it's, it's so much different to me than the way that we talked about the Eastern conference five to seven years ago, you know, when it was LeBron's heat or LeBron's Cavs and everybody else, uh, because those teams were like legit bad, right? It's like the, the Hawks with Jeff T could be the second best team in the East or the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan Raptors could win like almost 60 games. I what's, what's unique about this West to me is that all like all these teams have good players, like, Hall of Famers, superstars, all NBA guys. Like it's it's not like this wasteland of just average teams. It's just it's teams with good players who have either been hurt or just aren't winning games. Yeah, the league um 
the talent of the league is just so high. You can understand why they they want to expand, you know, because there really are we are to the point where there really only are four bad teams. Um and yes. that's fine. And I think the NBA has an appetite for one more bad team, maybe. Uh and so I I, I just think there is a lot of talent in the NBA. Like there are guys who we see them come in. I mean, the perfect example of this is um, Cam Thomas on Brooklyn. Yep. There are guys in the NBA right now who, if you gave them 25 or 30 minutes a game, would score 20 points a game. And they just, they just don't play. Um, so the, just the, the, the level of talent is super high. I think that's part of it. Yeah. I, I think the fact that teams have to go so far out of their way to be bad now, I think speaks right. to how much talent there is because it's like, it's, it's like easier than ever to win games because you know, you have guys like Cam Thomas who could just get hot and give you 43 games in a row. And all of a sudden you're winning games that you don't necessarily want to win. So that, yeah, that, that is a big check mark, I think in favor of expansion. Uh, whereas it, in years past, I think when the NBA's expanded, the league had been watered down and then it watered it down right. even more. Like now it, it almost feels like we need expansion. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I, I would ha- be happy with expansion. I think the league can support it. Um, I, again, I think there's enough talent. Did you, uh, this is completely random. I was looking at player contracts for the free agency class. Kemba Walker still being paid $37 million this year. What? I believe. By, by whom? The Knicks? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, okay, see, um... I don't know. I'm lo- I'm looking at this. Looking at this basketball oh, reference player contracts page, and I see Oklahoma I right. City Thunder 27, well, actually $27 million, 2022-23. So I'm, I'm seeing the breakdown on Hoops Hype. I, I think your initial number was correct. I think it's 37, but it's split among those three teams. I don't oh, know if that's yeah. some sort of proration based on how many games he played or what, but the Thunder are on the hook for 27, the Pistons are on the hook for nine, and the Mavericks are paying him $600,000. My goodness. Yeah, it says waived. Yikes. Yeah. $20 million buyout from OKC. I completely forgot about that. Um, he's done, right? Like done, yeah. done? Yeah, he's done. Yeah, that's Crazy. a shame. Yeah. Him, and, like, him and Blake Griffin, like done, they're basically done at 33 years old. It's crazy. Blake might get a ring this year. We'll see. He's, he he's, might, still, he might. he's still finding a way to hang around. Weird, all-time weird career for Blake. Yeah, you talk about another guy who missed the, I mean, he missed his entire rookie year. Never knew if he'd be healthy. I, I thought he, I think peak Blake Griffin was actually better than I ever thought he would be, which is saying a lot because people thought he was going to be good. But I like developing into like the full court player that he became, the passer that he became. Like he was, he was, I would say, a legitimate top 10 guy for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. He was awesome. I mean, he was a, I didn't even know this. I would guess less. Five time All NBA. Wow. That um, is surprising. I wouldn't have thought he played enough games that many times. Yeah. That's, that is surprising. It must have been the first five years of his career. I mean, he came out and looked amazing. Um, there was like a zone where he just started shooting threes and started playmaking a little bit more, but was mostly still the the kind of like mid-post pick-and-roll dunker guy where you kind of saw the potential ceiling of it. And you're like, this this could turn yeah. into something. And just as it was starting to turn into something, he the injuries caught up with him. Yeah, he was a complete monster. I, f- I kind of forgot that his rookie year slash second year, 23 points, 12 rebounds, 3.8 assists. This is a perfect segue, and we'll end on this. Uh, yeah, I was going through our, our guy, Jason Chabilsky, wrote a, a rookies article today that I, I edited, and I, I 
inserted a little note on Paolo Bancaro, who is currently averaging 20.6 rebounds and 3.7 assists. Uh, and he is just the fifth rookie in the last 40 years to average 26 and three per game as a rookie. Can you name the other four? And Blake is uh, obviously one of them. 26 and three LeBron. No, no, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I think LeBron, I don't know where he came up short. I think he was over 20 game. I'll, I'll, I'll look that up. Rebounds. Yeah. 5.5. Uh, T-Mac. Oh no, he he didn't he didn't really get good until later. I think he was kind of buried for his first few years. Oh, I for, I forgot about that. Um, man, I will say so. One of them was Jordan recently. Michael Jordan, yes, Michael Jordan, okay. uh, Bulls one guard, of, Michael Jordan. <laughs> one of them was recent. Uh, oh, I don't, I don't think AD had the assist, did he? Uh, I don't, I don't think so. I don't know if he had the points. He had, he had like a pretty bad rookie year. I feel like he was really disappointed. He was 13.5 points, eight rebounds, one assist. Okay. Um, more, more recently than that. More recently than that. Yeah. I don't know. Four. Zion? No, 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 no. I don't know. You're gonna have to give this one to me. Luka Doncic. 21.2 oh, points. Wow. Yeah. Exactly six assists though. So he barely got it. 21.2 points, six assists, 7.8 rebounds. And then the other... Uh, big name. I think he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, you know, had his career notably short career due to injuries, but uh, really, really dominant player at the start of his career. We're talking early '90s here. Early '90s, he had injuries. You're saying? Yes. Yes. Uh, I would say he's on the short list of guys who you're like, man, I wish he never got hurt. Grant Hill. Grant Hill. Okay. Grant Hill. Twenty points. 6.4 rebounds, five assists. Uh, although his page says he was at 19.9 points, but he, he popped up when I ran the query. So we're, we're going to give that one to him. Uh, interesting list. I, I would have thought it would be more. And I, I think it, I think there will be more going forward if this you know current statistical boom continues. Well, yeah, and the pace. I mean, I think that so much of it now is the pace these days and yeah. the efficiency of the offense combined with that. It's just the numbers are, are out of control. It's really hard to put anything in context unless you're using per possession numbers. But yeah. Um, it's again, I, I, it's still all of those things can be true and there can be a talent boom, right? All right. Good stuff, man. Always fun chatting with you. We'll be talking all NBA on the pod on Thursday. Uh, so we got about 24 hours to, to do all of our research there uh, and present our 2022-23 all NBA teams. Very much looking forward to that. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.